Welcome to the Israel Conversation by Massah Leadership and Impact Center, the content engine behind Massah Israel Journey. We bring contemporary, challenging, and compelling Israel issues to light in ways that help us stay connected with what's really going on on the ground. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host... Liel Zahaviasa. And our listeners don't know because we're so smooth that this is like our multiple time attempt to do this because we've gone through a hundred technical difficulties that are our fault. Just in the uh, last five minutes. Amazing, right? You'd think um, we never did this before. And oh, It'd be good to blame technology, but actually it was completely my fault. It would be good. And now I just turned on the Zoom recording as the backup because I didn't put it on before. So that's another technical mistake. And we are joined, as you already heard, by Kalev Bendor. How are you doing, Kalev? I am good. It's lovely to be here with you again. And tonight, because we are in between... Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikron, Yom HaSmu'ut, we will get to that topic. But first, I, I thought it was important that we give a, an update in political news, not because the news story is so earth-shattering, but because it shows so much about Israeli politics today. And that is the, what's the technical term for what happened to Amichai Chikli? He was designated. I mean, he was declared a renegade. Yes, a renegade party member. That's a word that's not used enough. I feel like, Ex- unless just you're in re- unless- just in regular, just in regular speech, we should be yeah. using it more. It's a good word, especially if we listen to sticks. That's an old man music uh, reference that none of you got. Okay, I, I did. I do not even get that reference. No. Oh well, you'll look it up later on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. I'm you sure lots to. of the Massa listeners will then. Okay. Probably it's okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of contemporary music that has renegade all over it. Don't worry. Yeah? They know. Oh yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. Liel making us feel old with a reference that we have no idea what it is. Um okay, so what does that mean that he was declared a renegade? It sounds a little bit like, you know, I declare bankruptcy, like it's just a title of something. But it, it's an official it within the rules, the House Committee of the Knesset officially have designated him that status. What does that mean? It, it, it means, in short, that he cannot join another party before the next elections, and he'll have to run as an independent party, which basically means he won't be in the next Knesset, because I don't think Amichai Shikli has enough pulling power on his own to get 120,000 or however many um, votes someone needs now to get four seats to get into the Knesset. So by declaring someone a renegade, there's kind of two things. Firstly, it stops, for all intents and purposes, him joining Likud, for example. And it's also potentially, and this is why it's being done now, kind of a signal to anyone else who might think about voting against the coalition that they might also be declared a renegade and they would also then most likely be out of the next Knesset. So I'm going to keep asking questions like I don't really know the, the story so well, and I probably will learn things along the way. But he's from Yamina, and he didn't join the governing coalition with Yamina. You mean he got seven seats? Six of them joined the coalition, which got to which built up a coalition as big as 61 seats. He didn't join the coalition, stayed in the opposition, even though he was still in the Yamina party. Now, since about a month ago, Edith Silman left the coalition. So now they decide to declare Chickley, who who left the coalition a year ago, a renegade. Why are they making him a renegade and not Silman? So I, before I get to that, Mike, I, I, think there's a, I think there's a couple of macro questions here, which is that when we vote for 
we put our our, our petek, our, our slip into the ballot box, are we voting for party or are we voting for a person? Um, so if, for example, we were, we were to have voted for Yamina, mm-hmm. is that because we liked Bennett? Is it because we liked the list that Yamina put together? Or is it because we agree with, with Yamina values? Um, and, and then, therefore, the question comes, okay, so number, I don't know what number Shikli was on the list, but is that his seat mm-hmm. to do with as he would want based on his own decisions? Or is it Yamina's seat? That, that's the first question, and, and mm-hmm. probably the answer would be it's it's the party seat. You don't you don't vote for an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but then his argument is um, well, and also I, and also the the, the mm-hmm. chaos that would erupt if once we vote for party, if people once in Knesset said, you know what, I'm switching parties, it would throw the entire Israeli democracy into chaos. So people are really expected to when taking their parties, since I vote for party, if you take the seat that my vote got you, you're supposed to more or less stay in the seat. You're not supposed to start playing musical chairs and dancing from party Correct. to party. Correct. Correct. And I think, you know, if we, I, I gave the Yamina example, if we were to take a Likud example or a Yeshatid example, if you vote Likud, it's prim, prob, most likely because you like you like Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. You don't know who 18th or 19th or, or whatever seat is. You, you probably don't even care. So for them to then go in a different direction. Um, well, except that you'd be reducing, if I'm voting to give Netanyahu the biggest mandate possible, and I and this person leaves Likud, and now Likud shrinks to 28, and another party grows one, it's still, you're right, it's not as personal, but I, I you still could argue that you've undercut my vote, like the meaning of my vote. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I think that that's one question. Does does the seat belong to the individual or does the seat belong to the party? But one of Shikli's arguments is that in some ways he's the authentic Yamina, that he has has stayed um, authentic uh, to, his, to the right-wing base that Yamina is supposed to be. Um, part of and it's everyone else it's bennett and ayelet shaked and the others who have left and, and because and when yamina me, voters voted for yamina they weren't expecting them to join a coalition with merits and labor and ram exactly exactly okay. and and i think that this is this is an interesting one because lots of people made lots of promises or commitments mm-hmm. before the elections and the way that the results came out it was impossible to keep all of them. So, for mm-hmm. example, Bennett said, um, don't remember if he said he wasn't going to join with, with, with Merritt, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. He said he wouldn't join a rotating prime ministership with Lapid. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also promised there wouldn't be fifth elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think he thought Netanyahu should be replaced. Now, mm-hmm. y- you can't do all of those things. Right. Um, and so what Yamina chose was to prevent fifth elections and to go with a unity government. But I also think, and this is, I think there's a little bit of historical revisionism going on amongst some right-wing parties, as if there was an option for a full right-wing government and Bennett jumped ship to join with Meretz. And and the numbers don't lie. The right wing mm-hmm. didn't have the numbers to do a full right wing government, which is why it never happened. Right. And the reason why there's not a government with most of the right wing parties and Mansour Abbas's Ra'an party 
is not because of Netanyahu and it's not because of Bennett. It's because of the religious Zionist parties, but Salah Smotrich, who, who vetoed it. So the right... Well, I don't, know that that, ha- I don't know that even if he hadn't, that they could have... It didn't look like Bibi could get to 61 seats anyway. I think that, that was what Bibi... That's what Netanyahu was trying to line up. But yeah. my point is... If you the, crunch the, the numbers, it's still not 61. The, even if the full right-wing government Zionist, was not yeah. blocked by Bennett. That's for um, sure not. Yeah. So... You know, there's this kind of historical revisionism that, that we, we could have had a right-wing government and Netanyahu could have been prime minister, but Bennett kind of betrayed him. The numbers just don't don't line up with that. So No, so I, think, I think without lying, you could argue that let's then let's go to fifth elections and see how to make a right-wing coalition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but I, you know, it's, listen, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to rank Yamina's election promises, mm-hmm. uh, but I think Bennett could quite legitimately say um we promised no fifth elections. He did say it again and again and again. And what makes you think that after Netanyahu failed four times to get to 61, he'd suddenly get there on the fifth time? So, right. you know, Shikli's argument is, I'm the true Yamina. I'm not a renegade. You're all renegades. Um, but I think Yamina and everyone w- w- were stuck with this dilemma of which one or several of our election promises do we go with. Uh, and so they went with no fifth elections and a unity government. Listen, at the end of the day, the head of Yamina is prime minister with six mm-hmm. or seven seats. That's, that, that's kind of an amazing achievement, if you like. So th- I think that's kind of the, 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 the arguments back and forth. The reason they're doing it now is, I think, to try and deter um, Edith Silman from voting continuously against the coalition. Because if she continues to vote, or if she begins to vote against the coalition, she may also be declared a renegade. And if she gets declared a renegade, the fact that Netanyahu may have offered her Minister of Health in some future fantasy government that, that, that he may try and, and get will be worthless because she won't be able she to join for... any other party. So but... it's kind of as, you know, they, they, they sucked it up for a year watching Shikli vote why? Why didn't they hit him immediately as a renegade? It's a good question. It's a good question. Um, some people would say that Bennett is, is, I guess we could argue, is he a good leader or not? Is he a good prime minister or not? Some people would argue Bennett is not a good parliamentarian. And he doesn't he's not have, good at holding his party together. Yeah, it's not good. At, you know, if, if, if you look at how Lapid runs his, his ship, um, or Gidon Saar, these things are very, very tightly run. Netanyahu as well. And, and Bennett's just not... That's not what he's focused on. Um, so I think they left it because Shikli didn't really constitute a huge threat to the coalition. But now Yamina have lost another one. Um, it is it is an issue. And so I think they, they want to now draw a line in the sand and say, you know, if you will if you will follow this through, you will also like Shikli, you will be declared a renegade, and that will ruin your you know, it's kind of a it's a threat that gets can be dangled above um, Silman's head, if you like. And part of the... Yeah. Go ahead, Leo. If, if Bibi or if Netanyahu wasn't part of the equation at all, would, that, would what you're describing still be the case? Or would, they, or would the right wing be able to form a coalition, do you think? Oh, I don't think it's a question. I think for sure they could... The math, okay. you, do, you crunch the numbers. If you take right, yeah, Netanyahu out, then yeah. New Hope is back with Likud. Then Yamina can join the coalition with Likud. 
then even even so really the dynamic center around the fact blue and that white and Yeshati could join. Yeah, it's Netanyahu. He kills the numbers because there's so many. Mm-hmm. By the way, Yisrael Beitenu could join. Yeah, for sure. You'd have a you'd have a you'd have a huge coalition of right wing parties. But there are so many right wing parties that refuse to work with Netanyahu that you can't do it. If he resigns right. tomorrow, then you can replace this government lickety split with a right wing strong right wing coalition. So I'll, ju- I'll just say two things. I mean, I think you're right. He he kills the numbers in some ways, but he. Likud without Netanyahu probably get seven to ten fewer seats. Sure. So the right wing as a whole mm-hmm. gets strengthened. Yeah. But Likud gets weakened. Yeah. Um, the second thing is just the way that the the unity government was created. If Netanyahu were to resign, and you, you can't change you can't change the composition of the government without going to elections. As in, if the government collapses. We go to elections, Lapid automatically becomes sitting prime minister for those mm-hmm. kind of three months and however long it then takes to form a government. Uh, so the way the government was, was put together was that if anyone, if whichever camp topples the government, the other camp's leader becomes prime minister. So next election, theoretically, if the numbers stay the same, the right wing would have a good shot at mm-hmm. getting over 61. Um but not in the current Knesset. Yeah, it would be a rearrangement, a reshuffling. You're sure that it would require another election, that there's no way to do it without an election? There are three ways, maybe someone will will correct me, I think there's there's three ways of uh, the government being changed. Mm -hmm. One is that the budget, um, well, being changed or going to elections. takes apart the government. One is the budget doesn't get passed. Now, we've we've done that already, and we've got a good, I think, nine months to a year before that happens again. Right. Mm-hmm. Another is the Knesset votes to dissolve itself. No confidence. That you yeah. need 61. That, if if people remember, and it, it's confusing, after election number one, the reason we went to election number two is because the Knesset voted to dissolve mm-hmm. itself. Mm. Um, for that, you'd need 61. Um, so for that, you'd need all of the current kind of opposition and it is Silman and the joint list. Mm-hmm. There, That's... The most likely, but that's still I don't sixty. Think it, I, if you add it, uh, is it sixty? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then someone else as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the third way to replace, but though both those two things lead to elections, mm-hmm. the only way to replace the sitting government is to have a um, constructive. It's very difficult, almost impossible. Mm-hmm. A constructive no confidence motion mm-hmm. where. You bring a, a detailed list of mm-hmm. the new government, who the prime minister is going to be, who the defense minister is going to be, who the foreign, mm-hmm. through, 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 and that then gets 61, mm-hmm. um, which I'd argue is also near impossible. Um, Unless my, under- my understanding is those tomorrow. are the three ways of, <laughs> of collapsing the current situation. Take BB out of the equation and scenario number three is actually doable. Right. Well, you're welcome to go to, to Kesaria, Mike, and, and bring that to the family and suggest it and, and come back and let us know how the conversation went. <laughs> okay. I can't play golf with him because I can't play golf, but um, I'm happy to visit Kesaria. <laughs> amongst, amongst other reasons. Have a little pistachio ice cream with Bibi. I mean, uh, he, certainly, he certainly accomplished a great deal. But, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, in, the, in the hypothetical scenario of Bibi resigning, it's... 
it's accomplishable. But but I just I love I'm fascinated by a House committee which Edith Silman sits on of the 10 members of the House committee that had to review that Yamina brought a case to officially turn Amichai Chikli into a renegade. Uh, what's his name? Kahana prosecuted the case. Matan Kahana. Matan Kahana, that Chikli is not just a dissenter, but a renegade because he voted against Yamina interests hundreds of times, including laws, like right-wing laws, like the citizenship law that, that bars West Bank Arabs from marrying Israeli Arabs and becoming Israeli citizens. He said, You're, you consistently betrayed the principles of Yamina, so you, you can't say that you're a, loyal to the principles of Yamina. You are a renegade. You've turned against us as a party, and you're working against our interests as a party and a governing coalition. And so, and, and so the vote went, uh, seven House committee members voted to renegade him, and unless he resigns like more or less immediately, which I think it's too late already even, he can't run in another party, like you say. I, I don't know. I, I find... Partially, it's because I come from America, where, where the, the systems are so uh, rigid and built in. You get elected, you hold office, barring, you know, crazy, unforeseen, you know, impeachment or sickness oh, so or whatever. You get elected as an individual. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. As in, you, no one voted for Shikli. People voted for Yamina. Exactly. Maybe people voted yeah, for yeah. Bennett. Yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating insight. It's one of these technical rules. Okay, uh, this is a terrible analogy for our non-American listeners or panel members. But like for me, it's when I watch American football and there's some play and there's like this rule that's so arcane that I never heard of that suddenly changes the whole thing or the the committee gets together and they make this new rule. The parliament is filled with all of these fascinating rules that when you break them down make sense. And then in reality, there's like this literally 12-hour session of people yelling at each other in this little Knesset hearing room where this technical thing is performed as part of the structure of, of how our system works. I, I'm I just, sure it's not the first time that in a small Knesset room, people were shouting at each other. Oh, come on. How could that be? How could that have happened before? Uh, I think the screaming's usually in the big major. No, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, people, people were squirted out. Like opposition members were taken out by security for trying to scream down Kana. A 12-hour session. Chickley's lawyer spoke for over three hours presenting his case. Like, wow. It's probably the best gig he's had all year. As a civics nerd, I just find this whole event so interesting. And our insight into current Israeli politics, but the system of how politics works. What a story. So what's, what's preventing the whole coalition from collapsing right now. It's its hanging by a thread, in a sense, right, at this point. It's, uh, it's 60 versus 54 and 6 with mm-hmm. a joint list. Um, but again, it's, it's it difficult could to make pass it to the laws. Yeah. It's difficult to pass legislation, um, but for it to be toppled, you mm-hmm. would need that constructive vote of, of no confidence, which... Yeah. Is, is near impossible, or you would need 61 MKs to vote to dissolve the Knesset. So then, you know, if we're going to go into details, is it in joint lists' interest to dissolve the Knesset if they do it before Mansour Abbas has had lots of achievements? Maybe that would be good for them, but maybe they're facilitating Netanyahu coming back to power, which they don't want. Um, 
So the, the, the coalition's got a problem with passing laws. Mm-hmm. doesn't yet have a problem surviving, mm. um, but it's much weaker than it was. There's a significant difference between having 61 and having 60. For sure. But it, there's, also, there's also a principled weakness, which is they're, they're all compromising to work together because you have the farthest left parties with the farthest right parties. You have Arab parties, Jewish parties, the most diverse coalition based on the principles that we desperately don't want to go to fifth election and have another lame duck Knesset that can't get anything done. And now you're pretty close to a lame duck Knesset that can't pass any laws. So you're existing, but it's sort of back into that unproductive inability to legislate limbo that we were in for two years. It's not quite as bad, and it, it, but it's, it's, it's deeply problematic, the current scenario, even though it could, in theory, last all the way till the end of the session. Yeah, I think, yes, I think it is a problem. Um, perhaps the argument would be that it, it wasn't just about the legislation, it was about a way of governing. Um, and I think that Lapid and Bennett uh, in their tone and in um, how they try and go about things, would argue that it's very, very different to the Netanyahu years. So even if you yeah. listen, you could you could make an argument that actually, if you just took policies, the government's not significantly different from previous no. governments. Certainly not in foreign mm-hmm. policy. You know, for all this kind of right wing accusations that the country's been sold out to. It's if, if you look at specific foreign policy issues, whether that's with the Palestinians, whether it's on Iran. If you watch Bennett on CNN with Christian Amanpour, he sounded like a right-wing prime minister. (laughs) Whether whether it's actions in in Syria, this government is not too dissimilar from its predecessor. But I think the argument would be it's it's also about the tone and it's about a different model of leadership. Um, And that, in theory, can continue. Although this current government, apparently, the prime minister... Uh, the big fight is he spent $20,000 on takeout food to his house, which is less than BB spent for his personal chefs, but still everybody's angry at 20,000 check, which is, that's a lot on takeout. So he's now agreed to pay for his own takeout. You know, these are the tempest in a teapot. So, so you, you have the same sort of usual Israeli politics of, I can't believe you're doing that scandals, which I, I, I don't know that this one's entirely different than the pistachio scandal that Bibi had about what he was spending on ice cream. Well, we're we're a far cry from case one thousand, two thousand and four. Oh, yeah, that's a different you know, category. We're, we're yeah. not at we're not at, at, yeah. at um, fraud, breach of trust, and bribery, and, and gifts worth I don't know hundreds of thousands. No, 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 of no. Dollars. Yeah, that's a different category. That's a criminal. Yeah, that's right. a different. Well, if well, it but is the media's got to yeah. make noise about something, right? So, yeah, and in politics, 20, if you leave yourself vulnerable. Then somebody's going to come after you. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not sure why the prime minister. You know, he says it was under budget and it was less than what BB spent. But I don't spend twenty thousand shekel a month. You know, like that's not a month. Whatever it was, it, it, it does. It's just he should have known he was setting himself up for. He's he's not great at parliamentary politics. He's also not great at public relations politics. Mm-hmm. He takes these things on the chin. Although I thought he handled it nicely. But uh, yeah, politics go on. I don't know. I don't know why I find all of this. I realize I'm a civics nerd and not all listeners are civics nerds. But I do think that sometimes these sorts of stories give you an insight into how Israeli politics works. That when 
And again, you know, you look at a headline and you're like, I don't understand what's going on. It's worth taking a few minutes to to try to understand it. It's it's both fascinating, sort of abstractly, but also it makes you understand Israeli life and Israeli mm-hmm. politics and Israeli conversations and the real world that Israelis inhabit. You know, that that screaming twelve hour session is is going to be forgotten in Israeli history, but for the moment, it gives you a real. It's a real window into what happens in the Knesset and in Israeli political life. As does, and I can't think of a clever segue, <laughs> as does our, what people oh, often... That was excellent. Yeah, just the abrupt switcheroo. It works. I thought it was excellent. It works. It was very natural. Had you yeah. not brought attention to it, you know. Oh, I'll never be able to do that. I'm always too self-conscious to to not acknowledge my awkwardness. But it's, uh, you know, here we are, what we often call the yomes in English. Uh, you know, the period between uh, Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzma'u. Uh, we're, we're looking at the new population numbers, which always sort of get looked at at this, at this moment in time. And, and it's a time, I would say, that if you're here, whether you're visiting or you live here, you really feel... It, the atmosphere really does change at this post Pesach. Do, do you guys do you guys feel that way also? That it's not just something that, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely for sure. There's something in the air, and you know what? I think it's especially this year. I'm sensing it even more so because we've had two years of just, you know, indoor activities or very yep. limited social events, if any at all. And I think that there's just. Uh, like the the sensation in the air is even just more so than other years I sense like and everyone really wants to mark these days in a very big way and make them very meaningful with lots of crowds and lots of people and lots of mm. like social connection people are really seeking that out yeah yeah what do you think Khalif um well I was just actually if if, if you'll allow me I was just thinking of a poem um which is very beautiful and very moving it's by someone called so Ehrlich. Um, I'll read it in Hebrew um, and in English because I think there's an interesting historical uh, debate over why the government chose Yom HaShoah to be on the day that Mm -hmm. it did. Um, And, you know, the the early secular pioneers wanted it on the date of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Ish, yeah. which, which is a problem because obviously that's that's Pesach. Right. And the religious didn't want um, kind of a sad day in, in the Hebrew month of, of, of Nisan. And they mm. end up doing it uh, towards the end of Nisan. Um, so there's there's an interesting historical debate with that. But just the way that it falls each year, I think, is very um, meaningful. And, and, and this, this poem goes as follows. Shnei yemei zikaron smuchim kon shana. לטובת החשוב הכללי. כמה עולה לנו עם מדינה, וכמה עולה לנו בלי. Two remembrance days each year. We calculate in sum the price of having our own state and the price of having none. Um, and I just, for me, the, the we, it's, it's, uh, it's very meaningful. Yom HaShoah, I, I, I mean... It's not a joke, but I always say, I don't need your Shoah because I almost literally think about the Shoah every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't need a Yom HaShoah. 
Um, I do need a Yomazi Karun, um, but I think it's it's just the way that it, it, it fits together, which is, you know, there is... Why is that, Gully? Why do you me- think about the show every day? I think about the show the whole time. Why? Mm. Why um, family trauma, existential angst. Um, Who in your family? How, what's your family? Well, you know, I, I don't want to open this on the podcast, but, it, you know, you, there, there's as a As much whole, as you're comfortable. Um, no, no, there's because there's a whole... Um, a hierarchy of of what's considered a survivor, um, you know. So um, on 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 my mother's side, so my grandmother left um, left Vienna as a teenager with her sister on the Kinder transport, wow. um, and my grandfather fought in the Polish army and was a prisoner of war. So obviously, you know, there's a very stringent definition that you know, if you're not in a if you're not in a concentration camp, you're not really a survivor. Mm, yeah, but we're not. But um, it's a family connection. But, we're no, not we, but we don't yeah. we don't need to we don't need to go into those hierarchies because they're they're a bit silly. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I think, you know, I actually think a lot of Israelis, even those who came, uh, not from Europe or even those who came from America, as I think ev- everyone in, I'm exaggerating now, but everyone in Israel mm-hmm. is either a descendant of someone who was paranoid slash prophetic enough to mm-hmm. leave Europe before the war, mm-hmm. um, or a survivor who came after the war. Mm-hmm. Or someone who was expelled from the Middle East. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excluding American or Lim, but 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 generally that that is that, that is our makeup. And I think um, I think a lot of Israelis, despite us being a very um, militarily strong country, an economically strong startup nation, and all of these things, I think there is hovering a kind of an existential angst. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day this won't be here anymore. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the, to the, the general trauma of oppression, but the, the primary trauma of the Holocaust. I don't think you can... I'm not, I'm not saying we have Israel because of the Holocaust, but I don't think you can understand the Israeli psyche without, without, without the Holocaust. Um, so, yeah, I think of the Holocaust most days. Um, but I think in general, kind of moving it from, from a micro to a macro, I think there's something about the the instability a lot of Israelis feel that can be traced back to the events of Europe 70 years ago, even for those people that weren't even from Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, a third of our people were mm-hmm. annihilated. And whether you're whether you're reckoning with that as a macro, but or as you're describing so well, Khalif, it's inherited family trauma that survives generations uh it's it's still very there we haven't as a people rebuilt up to the numbers from before the holocaust so many years later and so it is it is very deep and and so i often think about when when you see these you know now the harvard crimson has declared its affiliation with bds like not only is bds obviously a a garbage organization that's anti-semitic and trying to it, it's open agenda it just won't say it openly but it, it it codes it's we're here to destroy israel agenda all it does is is push that israeli button if you're trying to make things better in the region the last thing you should do is make israelis feel cornered and excluded and under siege because you're exactly pushing the exact buttons that you're talking about Khalif. and if 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 you want a better future in the region beyond the jews in israel then stop. Just stop. 
making it pushing that existential fear of dread and loneliness that Israelis feel is always is always coming after us. It's so counterproductive. And Yom HaShoah is so I agree. It, it, it's deeply integrated. I I, and then Yom HaZikaron, of course, almost everybody has somebody also, that there is that macro, you know, the price you pay, like in the poem you mentioned, but there's also, everybody has their personal touchstones that it makes it really hard. And then Yom HaZikaron yeah. is like the best. It's kind of strange to go from the celebration of of Passover, like of Pesach, which is such a... You know, it's so, we're so consciously mm-hmm. talking about freedom and and you know from slavery to to liberate to liberation, and then going into this week of Yom Hashoah and Yom Hazikaron, um, which is I think like what you know bouncing off what Caleb is saying, still very real to us, especially Yom Hazikaron. Uh, but Yom Hashoah mm-hmm. is also very real. You know, hearing the testimonies of the of the Holocaust survivors and all that, um, and then kind of going back to the sensation of you know ending. Ending with Yom Atzmaut, like sort of culminating this period of time, it's just kind of interesting how it's all it's emotionally emotional we make whiplash. A lot of, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly. It's such a roller coaster, right? And you know, mm-hmm. and I get you know, Kalev was talking about the the technical reasons why some rabbinic figures didn't like the idea of putting a, a day of mourning in. I, I'm without, I'm not diminishing that that point, but just this past week, uh, unfortunately, I paid a, a shiva call. Uh, in Tekoa, and I bumped into somebody who said to me, as as I was walking into the Shiva house, um, over Pesach, right before Pesach, my daughter got married, my youngest daughter, and on Pesach, I had uh, another granddaughter, another grandchild. So wow. this person, yeah. Yeah. so I'm walking into the Shiva house, and the person says, oh, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. Oh, it's a little, like, as I'm walking into a Shiva, and, and, and he said, and, and we both sort of shrugged, and we're like, well, that's life, isn't it? Yeah, there is something wow, to what there's something to what you're describing, Liel. That's it's Jewish and it's human. You know what I mean? Like that's that's life. That's life. Yeah. You know the the cluster of pain and happiness and joy and suffering and beauty and ugliness. Like it's it's very Jewish and it's very human. Like you're putting your finger on something that's that comes out of the roller coaster of this time of year. Which and again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, without being disrespectful to those who object, to me, it makes so much. It's so real. It's so visceral. It's so powerful. Having yeah. these, you know, it, and it is sort of like you know the fast of Esther right before Purim, like the two sides of the coin of, you know, we live on the razor's edge, but we 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 have faith in our future, and here you have it again, like this, yeah, that whiplashy. Yeah. And one of the, I think, more more incredible things about it is that pretty much all secular Jews in Israel are celebrating Passover in some way, celebrating Pesach mm-hmm. in some way. And then everyone is, mem- you know, commemorating Yom, Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. Everyone's commemorating, you know, Yom HaZikoan. So it's sort of like you really get the census. And, you know, we, you're the example that you gave about the fast of Esther. Okay, if you're in the community of right, the right. Re- a religious community, then that's what's happening. Right. But really, this is right. so much bigger than that. Yeah. I just mean Everyone's that there is. I just brought it up because while I while while I get the orthodox uh, discomfort with it, there's something very traditional to it. It fits exactly. It, it fits the model so much of you know, and it's responsive to to history and reality in ways that 
I find very powerful. Look, I, I am one of those Jews who, who for me, Yom Atzmut is is a very religiously powerful day, and you know the special mm-hmm. services that you know that we do in synagogue for Yom Atzmut are, are so powerful. And then every once in a while, I'll think, you know, the last time we changed the liturgy on a national level for a major national event was Hanukkah. Right. Unbelievable. And now we live in an age where we we've defied the laws of history. We're back in a state like it's it's. I know that these are not what we call the days of awe, but they are. They they are yeah. they are. There's real awe to to and, and and part of it is is the. It's funny because when you think of holiness, you don't you know the Holocaust is such a toxic event but there is something holy to these days of commemoration of national and, and like you say Liel, even if even if it what brings us together sometimes is the horror and sometimes the the beauty and the wonder but even even the togetherness even if it's from the horror but it's still togetherness right and to me there's something very awesome about that also totally you can feel it yeah yeah can we feel it all right well uh thank you guys so much I now feel a little more energized and a little more aware of, uh, like you say, you, like you think about it, but sometimes just reflecting on it and talking about it makes it a little more. So uh, I guess we 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 wish all our listeners meaningful days and 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 moments and thoughts. Feel free to share them with us. Definitely talk about it with each other, and uh, may this be. Not only for this period, meaningful and and powerful, but but a, a year where we have m- much more to celebrate. A year of uh, beauty and joy and good news. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, guys. And we don't have to turn off the Zoom, but I'm going to stop the recording because it's the end of the episode. Bye bye. Now that we're part of Masa, we decided to add a cool new segment to each episode. We're going to call the Masa Moment. There are so many people having amazing experiences here in Israel, and we just wanted you to feel part of it and know what's going on. So enjoy this week's Masa Moment. Hello, I'm Rebecca Herman, originally from London and now on MITF in Bat Yam, in which I take small groups of elementary school students outside the classroom to help them improve their English. Having lived in Israel for almost 10 months now, last night's ceremony really gave me a grave insight into a part of Israeli society that I'm not so familiar with. And I truly believe that hearing the stories from bereaved families about the family members they've lost in war or terrorism will give me an even deeper connection with my students and help me understand what it's like to live in Israel and what their families go through, but also to try and understand the journeys my students have to come. It was a privilege to be at Massar's Yom HaZikaron ceremony last night with so many other Massar participants. And I know I can speak on all of us about how grateful we are to be able to explore our homeland safely without having to worry about if we're in danger or not. And that is all down to the brave, brave people who risk their lives every day to ensure so. Massah Israel Journey is dedicated to shaping a promising future for the young Jewish individual, the global Jewish community, and the connection to the state of Israel. Massah offers life-transforming, long-term opportunities in Israel that allows fellows to create their own future. Check out MassahIsrael.org for more info.